then I'll be with you. So, we're continuing our series on everyday supernatural, uh, which we're working through this book by Mike Pilavachi and Andy Croft. Uh, and we've, uh, we've covered a, a few uh, areas so far. We started with an introduction on what our motivation was, that it was the glory of God. Uh, and then recently Dale has preached on his power in, is in this present, it's, and that's where the power is. He talked last week about being filled with the Spirit. And this week, uh, well, actually, this week is a two-parter. Hey, what about that? Uh, yeah, we're going to be covering God's power, our weakness, over this week and when I preach again at the end of the month. And at the end of the month, I'm going to be talking about God's power made perfect in our weakness. And today, I'm going to be talking about this treasure in jars of clay. So if you've got your Bibles or your iPads or your phones or whatever, if you can, you know, get the sort of rough area of Corinthians, because uh, there'll be a few verses from there in a moment or two. Now, Liz and I were away last Sunday, and so we missed Tim and Carrie being here. Uh, and uh, I understand you had a great time with them, and you're able to present, you know, our memories book, you know, the things that we'd written in. I thought I was going to be the last one, but then someone came on Wednesday afternoon into the office, and I thought, oh, glad I'm not the last one. <laughs> you know, and I've been thinking about those, those memories, thinking about Tim and Carrie, and there were lots of things that I wrote down. But there was one thing that stuck out, and that was just how encouraging Tim always was. You know, whenever you encountered Tim, you were encouraged. You know, you turn up for something and he'd say, oh, thanks for helping, sometimes just thanks for coming. Uh, but he also gave you more than that. You know, whenever you spent time with Tim, you always went away encouraged. And I want you to bear that in mind, because I want you to imagine we're about a year, 18 months ahead, and you come on a Sunday and Quincy says, I've got got a video from Tim and Carrie. Oh, great, bit of an update, wonderful. And so the moment comes in the meeting where we press play on the video and Tim and Carrie appear on the screen, you know, and they bring their greetings from everyday Wimbledon and they give you an update and tell you what's been going on and they tell you about the house. We just I hope they do. And, you know, and then there's a sort of pause and it feels like a bit of a change of tone. And you think, oh, I wonder if Tim's going to bring, bring something to us, perhaps a prophetic word for the church. And he says, I've got something I want to share with you. I want you to think back to when you became a Christian. And you sort of think, oh, yeah, I remember it being a, a little while ago, or it might have been a long time ago. You know, and you, you think about, oh, yeah, I I felt so good. I felt so full of joy and experience and the love of God, and it was wonderful. And then Tim says, "Of course, you weren't very clever, were you? You weren't very influential. You were a bit foolish." And you think, "What has everyday Wimbledon done to our Tim? He wasn't like that when he left here. What have they done to him?" And then he says, "Of course, I'm just paraphrasing the Apostle Paul." And go, ah, oh yeah. 
So let's have a look at what he was, what I was paraphrasing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, and verse 26, it says this, For consider your calling, brothers and sisters, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are. And, you know, you get to that moment where you think, oh, yeah, I, I have to put aside my pride and accept and acknowledge then, yes, that's, that's, that's where I was. You know, I didn't really bring very much to the salvation table. In fact, I didn't bring anything to the salvation table. You know, I, I couldn't stand there and say, well, God, I, I am quite wise, and I'd quite like you to bear that in mind, you know, in the future. We'd, there was no way, was there? And, you know, we realized, no, actually, I was, I was nothing. I, I had nothing to contribute. And you realize just where you were. And, you know, the problem with that place is that, I don't know about you anyway, I, I look at other people and I think, they're always so much better than me. You know, they seem to do things better. And I think, oh, I'm, I'm rubbish. But everyone else seems to, you know, be able to do things and contribute things and, and it all seems to flow easily, and I don't know, I'm not very good at this sort of thing. I remember when we were living in Christchurch, I used to lead worship quite regularly, playing the guitar. When we moved to Brighton, I looked at the level of musicianship of the worship bands, and I put my guitar in the cupboard, and I shut the door, and I said, don't let anyone know that I've got a guitar. That's just unbelievable. They were amazing. And I, I had a physio appointment this week, and Kelly, when she was pressing and doing things on my back, you know, we're chatting away, and she said, oh, what are you doing this weekend? I said, oh, I'm preaching. Oh, she said, I, I'm in awe of anyone who preaches. She goes to St. John's in her screen. And, and she said, oh, I think it's amazing. I couldn't possibly do that. I think it's absolutely incredible. And I thought, you know, actually, that's how I feel about other people. You know, when I hear Dale or Tim or Quincy preaching, I think, oh, it's so good. Dave, Dave Holden, you know, when we hear him preaching. We had Terry Virgo here a few months ago, didn't we? Just amazing. And some of you will be able to remember back to Stonely days when Terry preached magnificently from the Stonely platform. Just incredible. In awe of him and what he can do. But, you know, I, I work with Terry back in Brighton for nearly 20 years. And he's just an ordinary bloke. You know, he'd spilt his coffee and he tripped up the stairs and he did all sorts of silly things like the rest of us do. And in fact, I remember one particular occasion when we'd organised a church weekend. We weren't going away, we were staying in the, in the building, but we had a Friday night meeting, a couple on a Sunday, and then, sorry, a couple on the Saturday, and then... Sunday morning, and Terry was preaching at each of these sessions. And it wasn't just, oh, Terry, 
you know, one of the elders. Now, this was Terry, leader of New Frontiers. This was Terry who was uh, apostolic and we were looking forward to what Terry would bring to us as a church. And every Tuesday morning, we gathered as a staff team to pray. And often, you know, when one of the guys or different people were away the following Sunday, we'd pray for them. And so there came that moment when whoever was leading, can't remember who it was, and they said, oh, Terry, we're so excited about this coming weekend, and we'd love to pray for you. You know, can you give us a little snippet about what you're going to be speaking on? And he said, oh, I'd, I'd love you to pray for me. I don't have a clue what I'm going to be speaking on. And there was a sort of silence around the room. Terry, it's like three days away. And you think, yeah, he's just kidding. He's just messing about. You know, he really knows and he's not going to tell. And he said, no, no. He said, I've prayed and I've prayed and I feel like God hasn't spoken. I have no idea what I'm going to be speaking on. Like, wow, we need to pray. So we gathered around him and we prayed and you know, laid hands on him and there were various prayers. And there was one particular prophetic word that really impacted him. And come the Friday night when we arrived at, at a meeting, there was a flyer available for us and it's headed Terry's Halftime Team Talk. And the introduction says this, at Tuesday's staff prayer meeting, I received a powerful and helpful prophecy that over this weekend, I should speak to the church like a football manager to a team at halftime. And that was the prophetic word. And what amazes me that he was able to prepare four messages in three days, but he said it felt like it just flowed once God had spoken. And, you know, it really encouraged me. And it still encourages me because there are times when I'm preaching and I think I have no idea what I'm going to be saying. And even when I do seem to have an idea, I think I have no idea whether it's the right thing. I come and I, I, I think, is this what God wants you to hear this morning? And I, I don't know. I have those doubts. And you see, the problem when we compare ourselves with other people it's we only see other people on the outside. You see, I know what I'm like on the inside. I know my doubts. I know my fears. I know my failings. But when I look at you, I see what you do on the outside. And so when we do that comparison, it doesn't, it doesn't flow quite correctly, does it? Because we know what we're like on the inside. And that, that was like a little window into Terry's world that he feels the same way. Amazing. And I think we can do the same thing with Bible characters. You know, Moses, Moses. Would be amazing what Moses achieved, eh? You know, he led all that stuff with Pharaoh and then he led the people out of Egypt right through the Red Sea, across the, the wilderness for 40 years, right to the edge of the promised land. Incredible. What happened at the beginning? When God said, I want you to go and speak to Pharaoh. And he went, what, me? I st stutter. Don't you realize I've got a speech impediment? Why would you ask me? There's all these other people who are more than capable of speaking. Why are you asking me? And we forget that. And we see all the amazing things that Moses has done. And Gideon. Gideon. 
Oh, the great leader of the army who had his army cut down to virtually nothing. And he still managed to overcome the enemy. And we remember a sword for the Lord and Gideon. And it's like, yeah, this man of courage. Where was he when the angel met him? He was in a pit hiding because he was afraid of the enemy. What, you want me? You want me to lead the army? Are you kidding? I am scared. And yet we forget about those things. We forget that that's what it was like. We just see the end product. And the Apostle Paul, amazing. He was planting churches wherever he went across Asia, preaching to thousands, challenging the authorities, both the, the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities. And he just seemed to have it, didn't he? Or did he? Let's have a look in the next chapter of Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 2, uh, and I'll start reading from verse 1. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And you think, oh, he's just, he's so humble, isn't he? It wasn't me, he's saying, it was, it was Jesus. And then we read on. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but that, that doesn't really sound like the Paul that we know and love from the New Testament. In fear, in weakness, and in much trembling. Really? I, I doesn't, it doesn't seem to ring true, does it? Well, we can find out. Let's turn back to Acts, because that tells us the story of when uh, Paul arrived in Corinth. It's Acts 18. I'll give you a moment to find it. Although it'll come up on the screen as well. Oh, look, it's already there. So Acts 18. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. And he met Aquila and Priscilla, who were tent makers, and they did tent making together. And, and then uh, in verse 4, and he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. This guy never stopped. He's tent making all through the week and then on Sabbath he's there preaching the gospel, trying to persuade them. But when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So Paul and Silas, uh, Silas and Timothy arrive, and he's like, right, I'm not, I'm not going to do tent making anymore. I'm on this every day. I can't, I've got to get out there and preach the gospel. A man of boldness. Verse 6, and when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean, for now I shall go to the Gentiles. This doesn't sound like a man who was fearful and weak and much trembling. Shake out my garments at you if you resist. I'm going. I'm going to those who are here. With boldness. And he departed from there, 
and went to the house of a certain man named Titius Justus, a worshipper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. Can you believe it? I'm going next door. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, if somebody was fearful and weak and trembling, that you'd think they'd go as far away as possible. And he goes next door to preach the gospel. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptised. Not only did he just go next door, he took the leader of the synagogue with him. This does not sound like a man who was weak, fearful, and trembling. Verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Now, I don't know about you, but when you've got something slightly awkward to say to someone, you sort of, you, you go up to and you say, oh, hiya, how are you doing? How, how's the family? Have you had a good week? Lovely weather, isn't it? You know, it's a bit of small talk to ease the way in. I don't think this was small talk from God. I think when he said to Paul, do not be afraid any longer, it was because Paul was afraid. And when he says, go on speaking and don't be silent, I think it's probably because Paul had been praying to God and saying, I'm not sure I can do this anymore. I, I, I don't think I can. I, I, think, I, I think I'm afraid of what's going to happen to me. I, I'm afraid of the Jews and what they're going to do to me. I, I think they might harm me. I, I can't do this anymore. And that's why God then says to him, do not be afraid any longer. Now, I, we don't know that, but why would God say that to him if Paul was bold and courageous and not afraid? It seems very odd. And he says, I've got, I'm with you. No one will harm you. I've got many people in this city. You know, that's a phrase I often hear used when somebody's going to a new place. God's got many people in that city. Perhaps they're going church planting. And it generally means that there are, you know, Christians around who are just sort of waiting, ready for a church plant to appear and gather to it. Or maybe, you know, the non-Christians just on the cusp of becoming a Christian. And it sort of happens as the church plant arrives. I've got many people in this city. And that's a, a good and encouraging word, but I don't think that's what it means here. I think God's saying to Paul, Nothing will come, no harm will come to you because I've got many people in this city who can protect you and I am with you and I'll gather them around you. You won't come to harm. You don't need to be afraid. You can go on speaking and not be silent. So how is it that the Paul that we see in Acts and through the New Testament is able to achieve these amazing things and yet appears to be Afraid and wanting to give up and wanting to be silent. Well, let's head back into Corinthians in the second letter this time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
And I'm going to look at verse 7, but I want to start reading from verse 5. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, or jars of clay, some translations have, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. Now when Paul uses a phrase, earth treasure in earthen vessel, or treasures in jars of clay, it's the equivalent of me giving an illustration about a mobile phone. It's very current. You all understand what a mobile phone is and does. You've all got one. You know, it's there right in your pocket, same as mine. And so when Paul talks about treasure in jars of clay, it would be as relevant to them as a mobile phone would be to us today. And they, there were jars of clay everywhere. Every house would have had loads of them. There would have been small ones and big ones, funny shaped ones, one with handles, one without handles. And they'd be, you know, in the kitchen. They would be there and they'd be filled with rice or lentils or herbs or spices. And there were those that were sort of glazed on the inside that would be used for water and oil and wine. They would be everywhere, all around the house, used for all sorts of things. But also, the people understood treasure in jars of clay. Because, you see, they didn't have banks. They didn't have safety deposit boxes. They had money. They had gold. They had jewellery. And they needed to keep it safe. They didn't want to carry it with them wherever they went. So they hid it in jars of clay. And so when a burglar came into a house, he'd look at, and oh, I, don't want a, I don't want a pot of herbs. I'm looking for jewellery. I'm looking for gold. Where is it? Can't find it. Well, it's because it's in the pot of herbs, covered up. And so they understood this treasure in jars of clay. In fact, the treasure often filled up a jar of clay and they would dig a hole and they'd bury it. And in fact, you can see some pictures. In Como in Italy in 2017, when they were demolishing the Crescini Theatre and digging the foundations for another building, they found these, uh, this gold. It had been hidden away. And then a year later, in 2018, in Mesdra in Bulgaria, there was an area uh, around some houses that was just a tatty old yard and there was an old tree in the middle of it. And it was just a mess. And the people around were complaining to the authorities and saying, can you please not do something with this messy area? Tidy it up. And so the authorities did and they started to clear it and they uprooted this tree. And in the roots of the tree they found this store of gold, of coins. And some of these coins dated back to 50 to 60 AD, just when, around the time, Paul was writing to the Corinthians. They, they understood this treasure in jars of clay. They got it. They realized. And so Paul is saying to them, look, this is what you were. You, you were just basically nothing. You were not. But now, you're filled 
with the treasure of God. You know, I, I made a pot when I was at school. Um, I don't know whether we didn't have any potter's wheels or whether I wasn't allowed to use it. I'm not sure. But anyway, I made it and, and I I'd sort of patted down the clay and made a sort of base and, and you know, I rolled out little snakes of you know, clay and put it around the outside and gradually built it up to it was about this big and then it dried and then I painted it and then I glazed it and then it went in the kiln and it was fired and, and then I took it home and I gave it to my mum and she said, oh, thank you, darling, that's lovely. <laughs> and it wasn't. It was rubbish. It absolutely, I mean, it wasn't very well painted. There were gaps in it. You know, it wasn't very well varnished and glazed and there were, you know, rough bits and so it was, it was rubbish. It had no value whatsoever. And you know what my mum used that for? Filling the bin? No, it wasn't used for filling the bin. She used to keep, you know those things that you never quite know where you put them? Well, she put them in there. And so, you know, the clock, the, the, the um, key for winding the clock in the hall, she kept in the pot. You know, when something broke and you think, oh, I, I need to keep this bit when I replace that bit. What am I going to do? I'll put it in the pot. And, you know, those screws that you think, oh, I'm never going to find one of those again. Well, I'll put it in the pot. And the thing was, the pot wasn't used very often. It wasn't like a saucepan that would come out every day and be used for cooking and then be washed up and put back in the cupboard and the next day out it would come and dug it through again and the next day. No, it wasn't used very often. But there was there come that point where mum would say, oh, what have I done? Oh, I know where it is. It's in the pot. And she'd go and get it out of the pot. You see, jars of clay were very commonplace. They were also very fragile and made with hands and so are we we're commonplace I don't mean to upset you but you're common you know there's lots of us aren't there nothing very special and we know what we were that we were not and we're fragile we get hurt really easily don't we you know when someone says something and we take it to heart and we think I'm just rubbish I'm just you know I'm no good at this sort of thing I'm just so fragile. We're so vulnerable. We're made with hands. We're made with the hands of God. He put us together in our mother's womb. We are just like jars of clay. But that's what we were. And now we're jars of clay still. But we're filled with the treasure of God. And in Terry's first session uh, on that Friday, his first point was remember who you are, which is a bit of a funny phrase, isn't it? Because you think about remember as being in the past, you sort of say, you expect to say remember who you were, not remember who you are. No, he says remember who you are. You, you were jars of clay. You're still jars of clay. But now you're filled with the power of God, the spirit of God, the treasure of God, the light of the gospel of God. You have the treasure of God in your jar of clay. And Dale started 
by saying God is in this place. And I want to use that phrase uh, slightly differently. Because Dale was saying God is in this place. God is here amongst us. God is in this place. Well, I want to say to you, God is in this place. Let that sink in. God is in this place. Now, a few weeks ago when Dale was preaching, he said, I want, I want to say to you, I want you to repeat something, but I'm not going to ask you because I hate it when people do that. And I'm, I'm a bit the same. So I'm not going to make you do this. But when I was sitting there earlier, I just felt God press on me that phrase. I'm a jar of clay and God is in this place. I'm a jar of clay but God is in this place. And I just want to offer you the opportunity. It's embarrassing, really embarrassing. I get it. But if you want to stand up and say, I'm a jar of clay, but God is in this place, then now's the moment. So with me, I'm a jar of clay, but God is in this place. Remember who you were, and now remember who you are, a jar of clay filled with the treasure of God. Amen. We're just gonna just gonna have a worship song afterwards. We'll uh, have a bit of time praying for Rachel. <clears throat> yeah, Lord, we are. As Kevin so helpfully reminded us this morning, Lord, we are. We are jars. We are earthen vessels there's a fragility and a weakness to us and yet there's something of you inside of us <laughs> something of your life and power and wisdom because your holy spirit is living in us so lord we I, I just ask lord even now as we come to you again as we as we come to worship you lord would you come and flood us again? Would you, in that sense, come and fill these jars? Would you come and fill these jars, Lord? If I see a picture of a jar and it's full of water or it's filled to a measure, Lord, I pray. Lord, we want, we want these jars to be full, to be overflowing with you. So I pray, Lord, even as we come to worship now, would you move among us? Would you fill us with your love and your power? Would you fill these jars that we might be full of you and that somehow, Lord, we might overflow, we might, we might affect those around us? 
So, Lord, I pray, come, Lord. Thank you. We have this moment to ask you again. We ask you again. We ask you now. Never tire of asking. You never tire of giving. <laughs> That's the picture of the river. There is a river that flows from the kingdom of God and it gets deeper as it goes out. We never tire of asking. You never tire of giving. So we come now, Lord, and we ask again. Come and fill us. We pray. So